Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Creation Podcast, the show where we discuss the science that confirms scripture. I'm your host, Trey, and I have with me today, Dr. Jeff Tompkins, ICR's Director of Research and Geneticist. Thank you for being on the show, Dr. Tompkins. Well, it's great to be here. Awesome. Well, today we're going to talk about something that I know that you are particularly passionate about. Um, and it's one that evolutionary scientists have kind of been talking about for a while now, too. Um, the supposed similarity between humans and chimpanzees. Now, we could discuss a bunch of different facets about this topic, but let's start at the very beginning of like where this kind of idea came from. Why is it important to an evolutionist for humans and chimpanzees to be related, if you will? Well, Charles Darwin, you know, promoted the idea that humans evolved from apes in the 1800s, and that caught on with the evolutionary community. Right. And they didn't know which ape we were supposedly most <laughs> similar to or had evolved uh, most recently from. They, it was... It was basically a toss-up between gorillas, uh, orangutans, or chimpanzees. Mm -hmm. Actually, a study was published in 2009 by evolutionists showing that, that humans shared more anatomical similarities with an orangutan mm. than any of the other great apes. But through the era of DNA sequencing and, and DNA research, uh, it was determined that chimpanzees were probably the closest in their similarity to humans. So genetically, genetically speaking, mm -hmm. exactly. So things have kind of focused on chimps uh, as a result of that. Okay. But really each one of the great apes and humans, they, they have their own unique features that make them special and unique. And so it's really, when you look at things like similarity, anatomically speaking, we share some features that are somewhat similar with chimps, others with orangutans, others with gorillas. So there's no clear path of ancestry, really, when you look at the overall creature. So are, are evolutionists saying that we like split like the tree idea that we split from some other ape ancestor, you know, some millions of years ago? Yeah, they claim that three to six million years ago, we split from a common ancestor we okay. shared with chimps, not that we descended directly from chimps, but that we descended from this mythical ape-like ancestor that was probably chimp-like, according to the, the evolutionary story. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, thank you for, for that background. Okay, so that brings us to, um, that was all in the 1800s. Now that kind of brings us more to like the modern era. I know that in the not so distant past, although it's more in the past than it was yesterday, uh, scientists sequenced the chimpanzee genome and they, uh, they created this big old project called the Chimpanzee Genome Project, right? Uh, why would they do this? Well, it kind of really goes back to the 1970s and early 1980s when they were taking human DNA and mixing it up with chimpanzee DNA, and they were unzipping the DNA based on the chemistry and the type of solutions and experiments they were doing, and they were seeing how fast it would combine human and chimp DNA together. Okay. This is in the laboratory. And based on these studies compared to the controls, which was just chimp with chimp and then human with human, they mm -hmm. determined that chimpanzee and human DNA was close to 98% similar based on those studies. But well, those were 
were not actual DNA sequencing studies. They were based on a technology called reassociation kinetics. And so it was a very indirect way of determining similarity. But it, it ended up being a gold standard, if you will, uh, that later projects tried to adhere to, basically using cherry-picking techniques later on. But whenever you read chimpanzee human DNA similarity study papers, say between the years 2000 and 2010, they always make reference to those original studies like they have to live up to them. Mm. It's like, if you don't meet this standard, then the paper's not even worth it, so don't publish it or anything like that. It, exactly. It was like a, like I said, a gold standard that just somehow had to be met. That's interesting and kind of disheartening for the scientific community. You know, you would think that if you did your study and you came up with a different number that you would promote that number, even if it isn't the same as this past study, right? right? Okay. So the consensus of this project, you said 98% similar. Um, is, is that, is that accurate? 98, 99, somewhere in there? Yeah. The estimates basically, you know, flow between 98 to 99. Well, when I say estimates, I say the gold standard right. paradigm. So typically you'll see 98.5, which is, you know, halfway in average in yeah. between. You know, when I first came to ICR, I was asked to investigate the human chimpanzee DNA similarity issue. Mm. And I had run a genome center at, at Clemson for about five years and did my postdoc in genomics. And I had never studied the human chimpanzee DNA similarity issue. Right. And so I was asked to investigate it. And I said, okay, I don't know what I'll find. But you know, when you start investigating something, you go to the literature and see what's been published already. So I began pulling up all these major papers in the scientific journals that claimed a 98.5 DNA similarity. Mm -hmm. And I was quickly discovering that these uh, research projects were throwing out a lot of data that was non-similar, and they were cherry-picking uh, regions of the human and chimpanzee genomes that were extremely similar. And in fact, some studies, I could actually factor the data back in to see what the real similarity was. And I was coming up with uh, numbers anywhere between 66 and 86% similar, depending on the paper. So That's a big difference from 98. Yeah, at that point, I realized there was some monkey business going on um, with chimpanzee DNA right. research comparing it to human. Awesome. Okay. So... You started studying this, and and I, I'm just thinking. I mean, technology has has just blown up in the last 50 years, right? And so in the 70s, I was not alive in the 70s. So I don't know what the technology was like, but I imagine that, especially in such like a a, a budding science of like genomics and stuff, I imagine that the technology they were working with was not as sophisticated as what we have today. Yeah, exactly. Well, DNA sequencing, it, it was invented in the 1970s, but it was very crude at that point and was just used for some very select regions, typically in microbial genomes. Okay. And then it improved in the 1980s with some, some new technology. And they were able to sequence um, you know, larger pieces of genes, but they still weren't really sequencing genomes per se. And the genes they focused on were genes uh, that were very common among mammals. So 
they were they were you know standard jeans or what we call housekeeping jeans you right. know that that basically do basic physiological stuff in the cell and they were very similar between humans and apes and really humans and rabbits and other mammals so mm-hmm. and then the human genome project was conceived in in the late uh, 1980s and really picked up steam in the 1990s and the uh, but the basic chemistry of the DNA sequencing was pretty similar to what it had originally been. It was called Sanger style sequencing okay. that had been invented in the 1970s. They just ramped it up with robotics um, and a technique called the polymerase chain reaction and some other techniques. And so they they just ramped up the DNA sequencing, but the chemistry stayed the same. And of course, the machines they used gradually, you know, improved over time in right. their their technology as well. But that's the basic chemistry that they eventually used to sequence the chimpanzee genome in the early two thousands. Really, between roughly about two thousand and two and two thousand and ten was when the bulk of that project took place, and that took place with this Sanger style sequencing, which had some uh, problems as far as contamination related to it. So not just technological issues, but actual contamination in in the lab, I guess? Exactly. Well, the technology itself was good, okay. but the problem is when humans work in the lab, they have DNA uh, on their fingertips and mm. on their faces, and it's in the air, and you just have to be extremely... Uh, careful about that DNA, that human DNA getting into your samples. And we didn't really realize that this was a major problem during the 1990s and, and early part of the, the 2000s um, era. So it turns out that several scientists uh, published papers looking at databases for human DNA contamination. And they found out that it was a huge problem. It was, there was human DNA in bacterial genome databases mm-hmm. in, in various types of animals. In fact, they found that 3 million bases of a fish chromosome was entirely human. It was wow. put together entirely human, and they actually published a paper on the genome with that mistake in it. Of course, they went back and, and fixed it later. Right. But this is a huge problem, and in fact, I did some studies uh, with actual DNA sequence showing that uh, indirectly, that the chimpanzee genome was contaminated with human DNA in its in its early phases, and it it probably went into the later phases. Now we have new technology now, where where we can avoid that contamination itch, issue, and the, and the chemistry, of course, is totally different right. with this new technology. That's awesome. It sounds like we've made some major advances. So let's talk about your. Um your specific like studies of this. So you, you were asked to when you when you came on board here at ICR to actually look into this. And so you found uh, you found contamination, you found uh, that there was just maybe some cherry picking there as well. Uh, and you did your own studies. What what was your conclusion that you came to as far as the similarity between the chimpanzee and and the human genome? Actually, when I first uh, began discovering that there's a lot of cherry picking going on in these research papers. I said, you know, I need to just download my own DNA sequence and mm. look at the data myself. And of course, I mentioned that I discovered, you know, human DNA contamination, especially in the early 
first half of the chimp genome project and it seemed to be less in the, the second half. And so when I began looking at those data sets that, that appeared to be less contaminated, I found out that the human and chimpanzee genomes were no more than 85% similar. It's a big difference. Exactly, using the, the standard algorithms that are out there that scientists use. Well, um, I also began downloading new DNA sequence data that was produced with brand new technologies. And these new DNA sequencing technologies use different chemistries than the what I call the Sanger-style sequencing chemistry. It's a sequencing by synthesis type technology, and there's actually different chemistries uh, that do that. But anyways, these chemistries produce really long sequences, which we call reads in the genomics business. Okay. They produce exceptionally long reads. The Sanger-style sequences produced about 700 to 1,000 bases per chunk per read. And then there was a new technology after that called Next Generation uh, Technology, which produced actually very short reads, but it just produced more of them. <laughs> okay. And that technology produced uh, reads that were 100 to 300 bases long when you would pair up the, the reads with each other. But this new technology can produce reads up to 10,000 to 50,000 bases wow. in length, which are really long. And because it's sequencing by synthesis, you can, you can pretty much tell if it's human or it's chimp because it's such a long read and because the technology kind of prohibits and, and alleviates the contamination issue. Okay. So anyways, they have now produced, having said all that, they have now produced a new chimpanzee genome based on this new technology, uh, which is important because it's, it's more accurate, it's less contaminated. And another thing is, is that the earlier chimpanzee genomes with the Sanger-style sequences, they actually assembled or put together those sequences based on the human genome. Mm. So the human genome was used as a scaffold to, to stitch together all of those little snippets of DNA that they produced that were only 700 to 1,000 bases long. That seems like cheating to me. <laughs> well, it's, it is cheating, but they didn't have a whole lot of options right. because human was you know the closest thing to chimp, and they didn't really have a, a super good uh, framework, what we call genomic frameworks. Uh, for the chimpanzee genome, right. like they did other projects. And so they just used human to put it together. And another factor, too, was that there wasn't you know, a whole lot of money available for sequencing the chimp genome compared to, the, say, the human genome, where there's just billions upon billions of dollars that have been dumped into it. Right. Because we want to solve all of the, the health problems that humans have you know, and, and look at the genome in very much in depth. Getting back to the new technology that's mm -hmm. being used to sequence the chimpanzee genome, I began downloading those huge snippets of DNA. And they, the data sets that I downloaded, on average, those little snippets were, on average, 30,000 bases long. It's a lot longer than 100 to 300. Exactly. It's, it's great data to work with. So I began matching those up onto the human genome. And... <laughs> One of the problems I ran into is I could only match up about a third of those 30,000 base snippets onto the chimp genome. In other words, only about 10,000 bases of that I could actually match up before the algorithm just quit, mm. quit matching because things became so dissimilar that it couldn't 
continue. And But anyways, based on those 10,000 base on average snippets that I could match up, um, there was a maximum similarity of 84%, or an average similarity, I'm sorry, of 84%, so meaning a maximum similarity of, of 84% between right. human and chimp. Well, that was pretty close to my other work that I did with, with the the other DNA data set. So at this point, I would say that the human genome and the chimp genomes are no more than 84% similar, and that doesn't even include the the regions that that we can't match up that haven't been sequenced yet, right. particularly in chimp. And that is very different than 98, 99. And are, are there other, maybe like uh, other secular scientists that are kind of hitting upon this same idea, maybe? Yeah, exactly. That's a great question because in the 2018 paper where they published the new version of the chimpanzee genome, uh, using this new technology, they basically said previous versions of the chimpanzee genome were humanized. Mm. That was their words, humanized. Well, that was because they were assembled onto the human genome. Right. But they wouldn't commit to any similarity numbers between human and chimp, which I thought was odd. That's very telling. It was very telling, exactly. But there is a researcher in England. His name's Richard Bugs. He works for the University of London, Queen Mary. And he actually did an analysis uh, similar to what I did, only he used a, a different algorithm. And he he came up with the same number, 84% similarity go. between humans and chimpanzees. And actually, he published his research in, in a series of blogs uh, that he put up on the Internet mm -hmm. roughly at about the same time I published my data. So it was very providential that our results came out at the same time. So you have, have someone who, because of course that's the way the scientific community is. It's, oh, this creation scientist said this, so they'll just discount it. But someone right. else, a secular scientist, also said it at the same time. That is, providential is a very good word. Uh, okay, so really I just I want to bring it back to like the importance to the evolutionary community of like what what this 84% uh, really means to them. Because I imagine, you know, 98, 99%, that's pretty close. Maybe we could have evolved in their in their worldview. But does 84% present a, a major problem to them? Yeah, 84% is a, a huge problem because it kicks evolution out the door, basically. Uh, and the reason that that is, is because we know what the mutation rates are in humans mm. based on studies of large uh, human families. And also within chimpanzee populations, we know what the mutation rate is amongst those populations of chimps. It's roughly similar to that of humans. So based on this idea of human evolution and the mutation rates that we know and this, this uh, model of human, human evolution, called the neutral model of human evolution, and the statistical equations that go into all of that, you basically need about a 99% similarity to get your system to work. And that's within, say, a three to six million year time frame back to a common ancestor. Now, I've seen some papers where they try and increase the amount of time, mm -hmm. you know, up to, say, 16 million years, but even that doesn't help. Yeah. You, you basically need almost a, an identical 
DNA similarity between humans and chimps to get these evolutionary models to work that are very theoretical, but yet that's the hard fact. So 84% just totally blows that out the window. So really it speaks to the fact that humans are are very unique. Their genome is unique. Yeah, we share similarities with other mammals and and animals because we breathe and have stomachs and right right because we you know we have a lot of the same metabolism requirements Mm -hmm. and even humans and chimps you know have have a somewhat similar uh, body plan it's it's not identical there's obviously huge differences between them and so you would expect a lot of similarities you expect common code based Mm -hmm. on on common biochemical and uh, and anatomical features that absolutely makes sense so then i guess i guess really what we're looking at is if 84 percent is true which it is uh if, if we've got this 84 percent similarity then that really just kind of pushes all of the evolutionary time scale back further than than can work right um 16 million you know Six million to sixteen million in the grand scheme of the evolutionary timescale is not a lot, and I don't think that that would account for a whole another fourteen percent of the genome, right? Right. And another interesting thing too is that the Y chromosomes of chimpanzees and humans were compared in excruciating detail uh, about ten years ago. And they actually created a very accurate map for the chimpanzee Y chromosome mm. that they hadn't done for the other chromosomes. And so they knew that it was very, very accurate. And they compared it to human. And they compared the evolution of that chimpanzee chromosome to human to that of a human and a chicken. That's how different that was. Wow. Yeah. Now, of course, the other regions of the genome are, are more similar, but... I think honestly it speaks to a common designer, right? Exactly. Right. Well, and we know that, uh, we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. We are made in the image of God. We are not, uh, evolved from an ape like ancestor. Um, and all the glory to, to Christ Jesus, uh, for that. And you actually have a a book on this topic that you wrote. It's a pretty recent book uh, for our viewers. You can all see it there. Uh, chimps and humans, a geneticist discovers DNA evidence that challenges evolution. Uh, this came out not too long ago, if if I'm correct. Yeah, it just came out uh, awesome. this past year. So I'm really excited about it. It uh, has all the up-to-the-minute research that I've done, that, that secular scientists have done, and it's in a variety of different chapters on different topics. So we talk about DNA similarity in there, uh, the chromosome fusion, um, junk DNA, pseudogenes, just the whole gamut of, of arguments that evolutionists have used to attempt to prove similarity between humans and chimps. So it's a, it's a, it's a technical book, correct? Or pretty technical? Well, it's a semi-technical book, and okay. most people that have an interest in science and biology will be able to understand it at some level, some, some parts of it more than others. Okay. But I think it's pretty readable for the most part. Okay. And it'll, it's especially great for college students that are getting hit with evolutionary ideas in the classroom. Absolutely. And uh, so I think it'll be great for a lot of different groups of people. So to our listeners and viewers, of course, if you want to get more information on this particular topic, be sure to pick up a copy of this book. Again, that's Chimps and Humans. You can find that at icr.org slash store. 
and for now, uh, this is the first part of a two-part episode. Uh, so uh, make sure to come back and, and watch the next episode. So Dr. Tompkins, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It was great. Absolutely. And uh, for all of our listeners and viewers, again, this is just part one. We'll have a part two on our next episode. And for now, uh, make sure to uh, like, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. You can find it on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm Trey, and we'll see you next time on The Creation Podcast.